0: Hi everyone and welcome to another podcast of Globalized Asia. Today we will explore a profession which is perceived by many with ambiguity. I'm talking about spiritual counselling, which is branded in our society by many names like psychic, empath, clear audience, clairvoyance, tarot card reader and the list goes on. Many questions are raised when we come across these professions and most common of all, does it really work? to answer that and help us clear the mystic cloud from some of the myths out there, we have an amazing and fascinating Reshmi Parmar talking to us today. Reshmi is a spiritual healer and a counsellor and she will help us understand the world of the unknown. Hello and welcome, Reshmi.
1: Hello, Vatsala. Lovely to meet you. And likewise. So Before we uh, dive deep into uh, the world of spiritual counselling, can you just talk us through a little bit about yourself, who Reshmi is, what were the growing up years like, your early years?
2: (laughs) Okay, I won't go into all of it. Who am I? I think we never stay the same. I think from who we're born to who we become every day, there's a different person that comes out, whether it's uh, biologically, uh, personality-wise, mentally or spiritually. So, from my perspective, my basic profile, if you're asking for a CV, is that my parents are Gujarati. My father moved to Mozambique when his father was working there to study. Then he moved to uh, what was then Rhodesia to study. I was introduced to my mother, who was actually born in uh, southern Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe. They got married and settled in the Zambia. We were all born there, so there's myself in the family. I have six other siblings, and so it's a big family. Our years were interesting, I would say. The first few years, the formative years of my childhood, very interesting. Um, Very typically Indian, very uh, protected by the parents. Then what happened was the whole independence thing came in for Zambia, and um, we had uh, compulsory national insurance for every child that turned 16.
0: That was, what, 1964?
2: The independence came in sixty four. Yeah. but this was in the 70s. So in the 70s, my sister got her her draft papers, and my father, who had been in the military service, decided that it wasn't going to be for his daughters. And uh, we had heard a lot of rumours about what happened to girls who went to the military service. So within three days, we'd packed up in Zambia and arrived in the UK to start a brand brand new life. I was 13 when we came to the UK, and it was a complete... Exciting because the child always has that whole story of the um, golden streets of London, you know. Yeah. So we arrived in this whole sort of storm of excitement, but then the reality kicked in. It was freezing cold. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you have this um, idealism in your head as a child, you know, this world is going to be fantastic. And to some degree it was, but to other degrees it was a real struggle. And um, I don't think people outside of UK, until you've lived in the UK, realise how hard you have to work to maintain a standard of life that would make you comfortable or even, you know, sufficient. And when we arrived in the 70s, it was very difficult. Mm. My father was quite ill, couldn't work. So my mother, who had uh, up to that stage been a housewife, uh, who was married at the age of 15, Found herself doing every job, going to keep the family going.
1: As they say, it's always one generation giving way for the next. Absolutely, so they always have to sacrifice. Yeah. So it
2: was uh, in some ways it was tough, but we've got this wonderful blessing in the family that my mother's always sort of threaded love through little things, little details. So we're a very close family in that way. All the siblings are close, yeah. and you know, very supportive of each other. So we do have that. Um, Affection and support of the family.
1: Would you would you say your growing up years the family was religious or deeply religious? Would you? Would you? <laughs> um, My father was deeply religious.
2: Uh, he had wanted to be a yogi before he was forced to marry. Okay. So um, he had this torn personality in a way. You know, he became a father figure when he wanted to just be a monk um, up in the wow. Himalayas. So for him, it was quite a quite a change, quite a, change. <laughs> quite a challenge. My mother. She'd been taught all the religious rites as a, as a child, but uh, her mother died when she was 13. And having become the principal caregiver in the family at the age of 13 and then marrying at 16, she sort of tried to mimic what she'd been taught, but found that she was falling way short of some of the knowledge. And a lot of the local women who had also found themselves transported as wives to Zambia were supporting her. So she learned from that age um, a lot more of the spiritual stuff. Now she's very religious. She was at the time. We were taught all sorts of prayers. We were part of every festival that Mm. happened, you know, from Holi to Diwali. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it was very integral in our lives. My father was the central figure who helped set up the local Indian Mm. hall, the Hindu hall, where we had the Gujarati school. We had the Indian Bollywood movies being shown. Mm. Um, And he was very much part of the community that encouraged families to enrol their children into schooling. So we had very much the religious side of things and the cultural even. And, interviewee.
0: and where, where, where in UK did you start your British life, so to speak?
2: We were in the same place. We were in Harrow. In okay. Harrow, Harrow. So, yes, we landed there. And uh, we've been there ever since. <laughs> nice.
0: Thanks, thanks for that, Rishmi. Um, tell us what the word psychic means, means to you. And oh. when did you start associating yourself with that title?
2: I still find that a challenge. <laughs> um, for me... Growing up and seeing psychics, especially in the 90s and the 2000s, I don't know if you remember, there was this huge, big advertising campaign with psychic lines on TV. Yeah, yeah. And that was, wow, gosh, that's for me that was charlatan, that was, oh god, those, those, those things don't work. I don't like the word psychic. I think it has too many connotations of negativity, too many people guess-working at what, is, what it is that they're yeah. interpreting. And there is this whole mask around the work that actually goes on behind the scenes of a psychic. Um, what they actually present and what they share with people, their real jobs are very much hidden in the sort of smoking mirrors type of. Um, mm-hmm. m- almost as the the side um, kick to a magician's show, mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing. A true psychic is somebody who can communicate mm. with beings from different dimensions. Okay, now that can be very challenging for people to understand. Mm. And also a true psychic can look at a person and be able to predict any health issues they've got, mm-hmm. um, what their fortune, which is what is their future, right. is about. But the psychic is a very all-encompassing word, and it's also very limiting. Behind the psychic, there are a lot more tools and a lot more skills that are available to people. Particularly for me, I never associated myself as a psychic because the abilities that I use I've always had as a child. Mm-hmm. And for me it was very natural and until I was in my thirties I didn't realise that nobody else generally had it, not many people generally had it.
1: So just give us an example, statement. for example you said you didn't realise until you were thirty, so what, what, did you, what did you pick up? Were there signs, um, symbols, mm-hmm. how would you know? It would just be a feeling, okay. I, a feeling of
2: knowing or I would hear words and sentences very clearly. So, for instance, I would know if somebody came into the house that they needed to have medical treatment or, you know, that they just had some sad news and I, I would blurt words out. Right. And as a child, of course, you're told off not to talk yeah. about things, so, you know, don't talk about that. That's not... So, from my sort of early teens, it was it became quite important for me not to speak out of turn. So I did, I stopped mm-hmm. speaking about these things that I felt, but I thought because... My parents said, don't speak out of turn. I thought everybody did it, and it was just impolite. So I replaced Mm. it all. But I never associated it with with the skill of being psychic. I never thought that that was an unusual skill. Or there was mysticism around it. Um, so those are the sort of things I'd pick up. I'd pick up pregnancies, uh, which they hadn't told us about, and mm-hmm. things like that, which of course would be very bad in an Indian community to suddenly yeah. tell somebody as so they walk through the door, oh, I can see the baby, you know, that's wow. the worst thing you can do. You know, so yeah. that's, that's um, that kind of thing. Was did, did you
0: ever question your sanity in that in that sense, where people were not believing you in that sense, or you were very mm. very strong in that feeling that what I'm doing or what I'm feeling is... It's very normal for me. I, I, you never questioned that, what I others think, were. I,
2: I think until I got older and I realised that not everybody did it or had the same ability, I didn't realise I had anything to question. Right. I did take on board that I was a bad girl for talking about these things. Right. You know, I was a naughty girl. I was speaking out of ten. Okay. So your
1: parents wouldn't really understand at that point? No.
2: They had no idea that this was something that mm-hmm. was a part of... A, a gift, as we call it nowadays, um, an ability. I actually had my doubts. My father didn't talk about it, but I think he was very uh, psychic himself, very intuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel that his path had led him into so many different dark corners that he'd shut it down. Right. Mm. So the ability wasn't something that he was going to encourage. He had a very difficult life his, mm. himself, so it wasn't something he was going to step up and say, "Oh, you can use that now, or you mm. can do this now." It wasn't. For him, it wasn't going to be something he was going to be proud of. The only time my father was proud of me was when I interviewed a yoga master on my radio show many years later. Mm -hmm. And that was the only time he said to me, well, I did like the questions you asked, but you laughed too much in this. So, So there was... It was yeah. very, I don't know if it was Indian or whether his way, but it was very much don't be too proud of yourself, mm-hmm. you know, you have mm-hmm. to be humble, mm. so it wasn't something that was encouraged or discussed in the family until years later.
1: Wow, so, so it, it was in the family in, in a way. Yeah, and it still is. There yeah. are
2: other members of my f- siblings who have the ability, okay. don't necessarily, well they don't use it professionally, mm. don't necessarily talk about it, but I can see from the stuff that they share and things that I've witnessed in the past that they have that ability
0: quite intriguing in mm. a way to meet someone like yourself mm-hmm. um, because you know it's a you, you do exist in the same society as a as lot of us do yes. but we don't come across that often mm-hmm. or we don't talk on that topic that no. often hence we are here yeah absolutely I I'm surprised <laughs> 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 it's, a, it's, it's yeah. a
1: hugely interesting I think um I mean, the more research you do, the more you hear about it, the yes. more you know. People do have abilities and then they, these are serious abilities and they're not just making things up, they, they can feel, they can communicate as you said, um, and they get passed down messages. Absolutely. So, um,
2: and the messages are quite important messages from what I've got to learn through, the, through my personal experience. Um, you know you mentioned the word psychic now psychic is just a, a sort of a title that's given to somebody who has the ability to be able to communicate to be able to interpret information that they feel um, but they're behind the scenes they have a lot of skills like clairvoyant clairaudience clairsentient mm-hmm. then we also have the mediums and an empath um, all of that nowadays the modern word to be accepted is you're an intuitive or you're a sensitive so if you're a sensitive it means that you're picking up the signals okay And the way that you pick up signals is simply like an antennae. So you're an antennae that is able to receive different Mm -hmm. digital signals. And then you can say, well, that means to me this, this, this. And then you're able to translate it to the person that you're sitting with.
0: I like that analogy. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure a lot of people would relate to that. Yeah.
2: I I think it's a much simpler way of then trying to complicate things. You know, and the more we simplify it, the less it becomes mystical you know, it's like, how does a mobile phone or a radio receive the information it receives? It's the same things. it's just the different frequencies of sound and energy that you're receiving so that's what I'm doing, is I'm absorbing a huge number of signals, radio signals, sound waves and that kind of thing, and then being able to translate some of them that are significant to the person that's sitting opposite me and saying this is what's happening for you.
1: That not make sense scientifically and from how you describe, but how accepting you think people are around you. <laughs> Is, is I think what's very interesting. Yeah,
2: I think that the evolution of humanity at the moment is giving us a platform to become more accepting. Mm-hmm. When I first came into the skills in the 90s, um, you know, I, I was married, and it's something that my husband at the time accepted without a question. He thought it was weird, but, but accepted, and I didn't realise how much he accepted it until... We were on holiday, and this guy was drinking like mad. And I said, would you stop drinking? You're going to damage your new kidney. And I don't know where the words came from. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and says, how did you know? How did you know I've got a new kidney? And he lifted his shirt, and he had the scar of a kidney transplant. And he shared the story of his kidney, a recent kidney transplant. So three weeks before he'd had the kidney transplant. He this
0: was, was some random guy. No, not, some not your husband. Guy, right, guy right.
2: And I was complete loss. I thought, I don't know how I know. How can I explain this? I had no idea. My husband said, she just has this ability. She knows things before you even say them. After we split up, I was in an office, and I walked up. We were having a staff meeting, a committee meeting, and I stopped more having a joke, and I said, just hold on. walked up to the switchboard, picked up the phone and answered the person's name. And the whole board started laughing at me, and I said, why are you laughing? And they said, why are you laughing? And the thing was that... They said, you do this all the time. You walk up to the phone before the phone rings. You pick it up and you answer with the person's name. How do you know who's calling? Hmm. And I had not cognitively realised that that was a behaviour that I displayed. I hadn't realised that I was so sharp on my signal picking up and refining that I knew before the phone rang that it was going to ring. And the other thing they said was, you bring files to us every morning, which we haven't asked for. But in the day, somebody will come in and ask us about the, fork, uh, the, the files or call us about the files. How do you do this? But to them also, I was a bit woo-woo, but at the same time, it made sense to them. They were accepting of it. And this was in the 90s. But if you put me into a group of people and said, read for them, I would get immediately shut down. Because I didn't find it acceptable. I thought there was something very weird and odd about me. And people were going to mock me about it. So it took me a few years to come to grips with it. Yeah. And now, because we've had this huge opening to the mystical side of life, you know, with movies like The Secret, the, the books about personal developments, knowing about your intuition, you know, that kind of thing, we've had this huge influx of new educators coming in. And so we've got more access to
1: around the world. Uh, too many goosebumps in eight months. <laughs> <laughs> instances where, for example, just example, Bill, mm. the example, the one that you just described on the person saying that he said to him, you'll damage your kidneys. Mm. But that would be a very natural thing for anybody to say for somebody who's drinking. Well, they wouldn't so, first of all say it would be your kidneys, they'd say it would be a yeah. liver. Mm-hmm.
2: So why would somebody say it's a kidney? So yes, it would be very natural. Um, so yeah, I find that I doubt as much as other people, and I have to guess, and the more I've got into working. With the skills, the more questions I ask before I share the information. So it's not just as it was at the of time, the words just popped into my mouth. I couldn't restrain them, they had to be expressed, and I had to tell him. So, in some ways, it wasn't actually me, it was his higher spirit saying he needs to be told, his conscious self needs to be told. So, I couldn't control the words because I have had similar feelings before, and when I haven't felt strong enough, I can repress them, I don't have to express it. Um, But I mean the the similar thing was when I was in um, supporting some friends doing some Reiki and some massage at a mind-body show and a lady was queuing up to have her feet massaged and talking to her friend about this operation she was about to have and I was watching her and I thought she's really ill and she doesn't realise it but I didn't want to say anything so I let her carry on and then these words started coming in my head and I was repressing them and I got taken over and the voice said to her, you do not need to have the operation and you know it's it's not what they think is the doctors don't know she said no the doctors don't know she'd been having tests and she's got these pains and so then this voice described what the symptoms were in her body and they said it's actually an overload of mercury in your body you need to go and have your fillings replaced because you've got the amalgam fillings which have mercury have the fillings replaced and once you've had them replaced you won't need the operation wow now I'm not medical. I'm not a dentist. <clears throat> I don't know anything about. How I was about it's to ask that.
0: that. Do you? Did you have to? As because a lot of your readings and waves that you catch or frequencies, etc., is around the body issues. Yes. So do you have to proactively go and understand the medical aspect of it, or is it just no. blabber it out whatever comes <laughs> comes in your head?
2: What's interesting is I, I, I repress a check. But if it's important for the person, the spirit take over and I have no choice but to speak what's coming through. And it was important for her not to have the operation because what they intended to do was the pain had gone into her nerves. The poison had gone into her nerves and they wanted to cut the nerves in her feet because the feet and the hands were turning into claws. That's how painful her body was with the mercury. Um, and mm-hmm. what Spirit really wanted to let her know was there isn't a problem with your body. There is a poison with a toxin you have in your body. Mm-hmm. Now, I knew nothing about that. And it took me about two years to eventually research. And there's been a lot of research done mm-hmm. around amalgam fillings and mercury in the body. And it started in the 20s and 30s, but it's been repressed. Mm-hmm. You know, Now, those sort of things, because they've been repressed, it's not in the mainstream. I wouldn't know right. about
1: that. So what you're really trying to say, Rashmi, is that you try and make the most educated... Uh, decision or or advice that you yes. give to somebody based on the questions you ask because you are open to the fact that sometimes it could be just a random thought yes. that crosses you. Absolutely. I, I have to double
2: check. I have the reference points of because I have the abilities, the clairsentient, the clairvoyant and the clairaudient, which means I can feel, I can sense them, I can mm-hmm. hear them. So I can hear spirit, I can hear the messages that are coming through, I can feel the um, information as vibrations in my body so if i feel it on the body i will check with it on the voice as the voice person is this what i'm hearing is this the right information and then i'll triple check it on uh, the sentiment uh, the the hearing side Mm. the voicing side so it's all about the fact that i have the three abilities that i can double check but my greatest strength is being an empath Which means when I sit opposite people or tune into their energy, no matter where Mm -hmm. they are in the world, I become them. My energy field becomes their field. Mm -hmm. And I walked through their body sort of energetically to say, where is the block? Where is that that they need this attention? Mm -hmm. Because I find people only come to me now because they have a need to be connected. And they're guided somehow. You know, somebody will pick up a phone or a friend from the other side of the world will tell them that they need to speak to me and they will call me on Skype or whatever, and that's how I connect with them.
0: So you don't have to be in front face to face? No, I don't have
2: to be in front face to face. So, I mean, last night I got a message from a lady in India, one of her friends who now lives in LA, said, I had a session with Reshmi, you really need to go for it. You know. So it's that kind of word of mouth that has really got me well known in the field. But being the empath is where you can find the core cause of any discomfort or disease in a person. And it's a powerful claim, and I don't make it lightly, but I've now had over 20 years' real professional experience.
1: Yeah, that was was something that that I was going to ask you. In terms of training um, Mm. and tutoring, mentoring, what's what's it been like for (laughs) you? It's interesting.
2: Um, I've tried... Attending courses with other psychics and other Mm -hmm. um, readers, and the only person I managed to do it with was a friend who was reading the tarot card, because I didn't feel confident with tarot cards. And I found that in the group, and it sounds very egotistic, that the, the channeling I was doing, which is literally letting the information come through, was of a... A higher power than most of the girls that were learning, because the way that the course was taught was this is a manual, these are the cards, these are the meanings, these are the symbology in the cards, and this is what the meaning is going to be in a reading, okay. So it's very open to interpretation. For me a candle might be a light in the future, for somebody a candle might be a light right now. You see, so It's open to interpretation, which is why you've got the whole um, sort of mysticism around it. Mm. You could get it hit and miss, it's not right. And for me, it wasn't looking at the cards. Now, the first time ever I used the tarot cards, it was very involuntary, and it was my Reiki master who taught me Reiki, who forced me to do a reading for her. And she said, look, it's broad daylight, you're gonna read me for me. I said, no, I'm scared to touch the cards. So we had this little argument going, eventually she persuaded me to read. I got her to shuffle the cards, and then I closed my eyes and said, okay, whatever happens, I'll read. Turned the card over, and the first card I turned over, was this very haggard grey woman, really full of misery and these words just started pouring out of my mouth, describing the card, describing certain situations in her life, what challenges she was facing and then it says, these challenges can be resolved if you take and then I turned over one of the final cards and the voice in my head said, now turn around and look at the first card. And as I turned to look at the first card, That haggard grey woman had turned into this stunning face with beautiful roses around her. And the card Mm -hmm. that I had seen wasn't there anymore.
0: So the card had disappeared? The
2: image on the card had disappeared. Disappeared. So the image that came up first was of this grey, really angry, really bitter woman. Mm -hmm. And that was the words that they used to describe. And as we moved through the challenges that she had to face in her life over the next few months, it said, if you make this decision... You will change to this happier person but if you make this decision then he gave me a second option and then i went back and the same image was back on the card so for me the reading for tarot is a bit speaking it's it's not for me tarot's crystals runes all of those are tools that affirm what i'm feeling what i'm picking up mm. but they're not the message they're just the mirrors of the message that i need to get right yeah. so you would use
1: them as tools
2: absolutely that's the only way I would use them. So, in answer to your question, when I tried to enrol on other courses, it never felt right, mm-hmm. or something would go wrong, and I wouldn't be there training for it. Um, and would you also think your
1: energies with the other psychics in the room would, would kind of because you say there's you always were, clashes.
2: There, that's a terrible thing. At the beginning, there was clashes for me because mm-hmm. I was so uncomfortable doing the work, um, with being seen to do the work. Now having done a lot of work on myself, I know some of it was past life issues that I felt challenged as a psychic in a past life, was killed for doing the work in a past life and that kind of thing. So I've always wanted to hide. So it was difficult for me to be in public doing Mm -hmm. that. Um, But I had recently, I was um, talked into doing an Nadi reading. I don't know if anybody knows what an ID reading is. No. I'll explain in a minute. (laughs) Um, It's ancient Sanskrit readings. Okay. And um, so I was talking into doing that, and I had complete resistance, and a part of me wanted to, but I had complete resistance, because I find it difficult to let other people read me, Uh, unless they're very close friends, I find it very difficult to let them read me. So I was doing this reading, and this person read everything that's transpired in my life until now, and told me about a past life that's affecting me in this life, but very much about these are your tools. And when people have asked me before, like you have, what training have you undergone? And the words that have come out of my mouth is, I get trained by my spirit guides. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've always thought, God, that's so egotistic. It's like, you know, I'm better than any other human. You know, I don't want to be above everybody else. But those are the words that always came. Yeah. I get trained by my psychic guides. So it's an on- ongoing process. It's an ongoing process. It doesn't change. And every challenge that I face is mm-hmm. a learning for me that I can use in my work. And the reading I had three days ago confirmed exactly that. You will not be trained by any human. You'll be trained by your gurus. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Will you ever be wrong in a, in receiving a message or in misinterpreted in a way?
2: I would tell you that people have come to me in the sessions and said, I don't agree with anything you've said. I had a woman shouting at me and um, have two incidents of that. You know, that's all wrong. That's nothing like I want to do. Mm-hmm. And then... I actually got an email from the woman, the first woman, saying, I'm really sorry, I was very afraid to accept what he'd said, but having listened back to the recording, you were spot on. I have made some changes and my life has changed the way you promised it would. Mm -hmm. So that was one of them. The second one was when I was actually working with a group of ladies, I won't name them, but they're in a very famous department store in the centre of London. So for
0: you. We won't (laughs) talk about them. (laughs) I just guessed (laughs) it you
2: did right okay and um, what happened was they to try and keep their status amongst their clients Mm -hmm. they tried to please them and this is a real battle for me I do not like telling people what they want to hear Mm -hmm. I want to tell them what I feel so I started reading for this girl and she did not want to hear what I wanted to say and she kept questioning me and I said to her because I have this policy if I can't Pick up your vibes within the 1st five ten minutes, we'll end the session. If I'm saying something you don't like within the 1st five ten minutes, we'll end the session. There's no fee payable, we'll just leave it at that, no bad blood. That's the way I like to do it. So I offered her a chance every 5 minutes to walk out of the door without paying and she wouldn't. She kept continuing, she had the full hour. She went out, she paid for it and the next day she came back and she complained to the owner about it and asked for her money back. And I said to the owner, did you listen to the CD? And she said, no. She said, I don't need to. And I said, but you do, because if you listen constantly, I asked her if she wanted to continue. The Mm. fact that she stayed for the hour was her consent to say, I will pay, and Mm. I agree with you. And the thing is, in the message, she really got the messages she needed to know, which was buck up, get control of your life, stop spending so much, which she didn't want to hear. Right? And, you know, I can't go into questioning spirit when that's the message that's coming
1: you wouldn't want to go over and tell her something else yes she might have heard in her life before but she didn't she probably expected something else from you exactly she
2: wanted me to carry on telling her that this relationship that was dead was going to revive itself but you know other things people Mm -hmm. want that reassurance and i didn't want to give her false hope because that's not what was coming out for her yeah and what turned out was that some of the people in the team prefer to feed them the information they want to hear rather than say, I "quit" and after, because that's mm. not my energy. I don't want to do that. We won't get timings right in a reading because there's free will. We can't predict what the other person in a relationship is going to do always either. Okay. Mm. So when you say, do I get things wrong? I don't always hit the nail on the mark when it involves more than the person I'm reading for. Sure. And I won't always hit the nail on the mark with the timings of things, because there's free will involved.
1: Moving on a little bit from this world of what you do, Reshman, to the fact that it is, this is profession, Mm. this is work for you. Yes. You've taken on something that you grew up with all your life. Uh, You obviously know that you can can communicate at multiple levels that, that ordinary people can't, and then you decided at what point do you think you could make this as a profession and, and what do you do, how, how how, do people make money out of it and how is it regulated? I mean, who keeps a check on, on your skills, on your qualifications, for example? Okay.
2: There are a number of organisations, there's the British Association of Psychic Readers and Spiritual mm-hmm. Guides, there's um, the Spiritualist Church. Um, and there's a mediumistic cha- charity as well that keeps an eye on people. Mm-hmm. I have never found myself party to any of those. Um, and I resisted going into any of the authorizations because, again, it was a little bit like my energy didn't feel like it was in tune. It was like trying to wire a 3 amp fuse with a mm-hmm. 10 amp fuse and it didn't feel right, right. you know. Um, uh, so, my regulation is me. I have my own ethics, and as I explained, I won't tell people what they want to hear. I'll tell them what's really happening.
0: Right. So does anybody, anyone ever come to you and say, "Show me certificates" or some kind of a?
2: If I'm practicing healing,
0: yeah, then they will. Right.
2: If I practice the reading side, they don't want to. But I did um, undertake a, a retreat with Diana Cooper. She's UK's top angel writer and channeler, um, and. Um, we had a 21-day retreat with her, which is actually just working with angels, tuning your energy and frequency with angels. And what actually happened was when we came to the reading of the cards, it, that part didn't happen. I didn't learn that part. I learned other parts of working with angels, but it was something I'd always done. Mm-hmm. So I have a certificate from her school that I'm a teacher of angels and how to work with angels. But I don't use that in my work. I have never used that as my uh, part of my work. The work that I do now is very intuitive, so if I sit with you, uh, it would be tuning into your energy, Mm -hmm. so I would have to fine-tune my radio waves to yours. Um, I would ask your higher self, your guides, what I need to work on with you, Mm -hmm. Um, and they would then say, okay, this is the area that's not working, can you go here, and this is how it's expressing, so for example, it might be that your hormones are out of balance, but the way it's expressing in your body is tiredness. Um, other people it would be eye stress. You know, so we say the impact of this issue is the illness in the eyes or whatever. Let's calm the eyes down but also let's deal with the core issue. So that's how I do the work. Okay.
1: Um, and, and then I'll to go the through the steps. Sessions? Or is it one single session
2: and then I have two different ways of working. I do a one off consultation. Okay. So you can come to me for the one session and I'll give you an over overall view. That session is recorded and it gives you all the tools you need to work with it yourself. Mm -hmm. So it will tell you which medical professional to see, it will tell you which diet changes to make, it will tell you with habit patterns to change, that kind of thing. Some people are very strong, they'll take the CD home and they'll work through all of it by themselves. Other people... Might be a bit frightened of working with me, or they might go to the professional and then work with the nutritionist. They might go to the medical doctor and work with other things. Like the medical doctor, then come back to me three or four months later and say, "But this hasn't changed." And I would work with them on that level.
1: After all that we've then just heard, what can people expect when they come and come to you for a consultation or a reading okay. session? Before I have a reading session, I'll have a five or ten
2: minute conversation with you on the phone, or or even by email, so you understand what you're coming for, and I understand that I'm the right person for you. So my questions are, how did you hear about me? Most people are, or such and such told me, which is great. Or what was their experience with me? What was it that impressed you, and what's drawn you to me? Right. Right. Um, so you're interviewing them I'm interviewing them because they need to be on par with I'm not just coming for a prediction I'm not just a psychic that will say oh you're going to meet your golden boy you're going to have these many children you're going to have this house that's not the way that I work I'm as some people say in Ireland I'm raw so if you're in a relationship that isn't right for you I I won't sock it to you but I will very gently guide you out of it
0: Right, so you can, okay, that's interesting. So it's yes. not all about the, their bodies, what no. they're suffering, but it's also a bit of a, into their personal lives, into financial aspect of it, their future to every, an extent. Right, okay.
2: Every aspect of your life is controlled by how you're living it, through choice. So very important for human beings is that right. we're spiritual, but human beings have free will. So your spirit might say, I want to have ice cream today, and the mind would override and say, actually, I'll just have a beer instead. And the difference between what the ice cream might do for you and what the beer might do, because the ice cream will lift your dopamine, the beer will repress it. Okay, mm-hmm. So the difference between that choice will have an impact on your physical body. Mm. So it's the same sort of choices in, in our lives. The career that you choose might lift you up. The job that you're doing to pay your bills might actually be killing you. Mm. So those are the things that I look at. And it's not always easy to share with people... This job isn't going to serve you for life. I want you to find this, which is a passion for you. It might be dancing, for you, it might be writing, you know. So each one Mm -hmm. of you has got your own passions. And it could be that you're just a little bit too afraid to follow your passion. Mm -hmm. And my job as the spiritual counsellor is to counsel you through your blocks, through your resistances, to make you happy, healthy and free and live in your passion. That's what I do
1: how do you help people um, in different parts of the world how you know where, where do you self, see yourself going forward now with, with with your profession okay one of
2: the projects that i'm um have been resisting for a while is working in the asian field with victims and perpetrators of abuse right so there's so much repressed grief mm. guilt shame around abuse and you know having come from an indian background having seen it firsthand I can see how much people suffer even in older lives, you know, in 50s and 60s, you haven't been forgiven for having been born a girl or you haven't been forgiven because you're married out of the culture and that kind of thing. So it's been a resistance of mine for many years, but it became very apparent this year that that's something that I need to do. So I'm writing a book about it at the moment, about how to deal with abuse. Um, that book, I believe, will take me on tour, that I'll be doing workshops, cements, seminars, where I'll be coaching people in groups. I well. have to and ask literally. that.
0: Sorry, did you hear from your spirits that you have to write something as a literature? Yes, yeah. okay.
2: It came in different stages. It was like there's this group of people, they need your help. What do you go and help them? The oh, no.
1: so people who've gone through abuse. They've gone through abuse. So that's the
2: message that was. Sent. And meeting them, meeting a person who's gone through abuse, of more than five or six people that I meet mm-hmm. who have had abuse in the past life and are in a place where they're either perpetuating the abuse or victim to the abuse and coaching them through overcoming that so when I have more than a certain number of people I know that there's a deeper story to it there's some guidance I'm being trained Mm -hmm. on the job to work with what's coming up as a problem and then once that came a lot of those people said if you write a book if you write a program I can follow from home I can change and so that's what's been going on
0: Rashmi has been educational today Meeting you and (laughs) speaking to you.
1: And um, connecting
0: with you without
1: any pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) It's been an absolute pleasure meeting both of you. Thank you so
0: much for inviting me. Thanks for talking to us. My
1: pleasure. Thanks very much. Hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. You can catch all upcoming episodes on the website globalize-asian.co.uk or via your iOS or Android devices. Also, if you wish to join us as a speaker and share your story, please do drop us a message via the contact form on the website. That's it for now from Gagan and Vatsala.
0: Thank you very much guys for listening to our podcast. A quick shout out to our supporter for the podcast, Royal Beans. Royal Beans is a premium artisan chocolate brand operating out of the city of Bangalore in India. Currently, they're offering Belgian chocolate bonbons infused with interesting flavours like cappuccino, masala chai, dark chocolate ganache, sea salt caramel and many more. Just visit their website on royalbeans.in and order for yourself or get it delivered to your loved ones in major cities across India. As a listener of a podcast, you are entitled to get 10% discount on the order value when you use the code GLA10 at the checkout. So go ahead and check it out.